Uh, last chance, anyone? All right, well, let's send the kids off to Kids Church. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. Amen. Amen. God bless your kids and your teachers. Um, man, I'll give a quick, quick praise that will lead very well into my sermon, but I'm just praising the Lord. Um, and this is kind of two weeks from now. This will probably be in that sermon. But I'm just amazed at how the Lord will just work through natural means. He'll just work His plan out. And it's not supernatural. It's not flashy. It's not like, oh, He has this you know, great epiphany or great moment where He speaks this word into you. He's just working through the natural, uh, natural things in our lives. And Jason gave me a text yesterday. I send out the PowerPoint and the sermon. I don't usually talk to Jason. Usually, you know, I'll talk to my dad. He's probably the only one that knows what I'm about to preach about. And I send it to Jason, and he gets the slides, so he kind of gets the gist of what I'm going to be speaking about. And then later on, he texts me, and he had a conversation with Corey about a song they were going to do this morning, that last song by Lauren Daigle, You Say. And he was like, look how awesome God is. He's like, Corey had no idea I was going to be preaching on identity and the things of that nature. And yet she's like, hey, Jason, you know, you think we could do this song this Sunday? But Jason sees it. He sees my sermon and he sees what Corey wants. And he's like, wow, coincidence? No way. No, I think not. Coincidence? I think not. Incredibles? Incredibles? Yes, Incredibles. Yes. Love it. Absolutely. And again, this sermon's been in the works for six months. I'm about to get into that right now. And I don't know, maybe Corey had this like, moment you must sing this song this Sunday tell Jason right now you know I don't know but I just love how the Lord works that way through those things and he works out his plans he's ahead of us and it's such a beautiful thing like I said last year December reading an article online art of manliness obviously you know you guys know us quote them all the time love it love 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 this page um, and they have this article on cognitive distortions, all right? Cognitive distortions are a fancy way of saying these are just bad ways of thinking, right? We get into these ruts where we think about things in just ways that are not really attached to reality. They're not really uh, attached to facts. They're just really uh, twisted and distorted, and they cause us to just go down these really dark rabbit holes, and they just make us feel miserable. And I loved it so much. I was like, wow, that is just so great. I am just digging this. So obviously, I bought the book that the article was written off of. And again, reading through this book, I'm like, man, this is just so great. And the article really was about human, like human, you as a human living in this world. This will make you miserable if you think these ways. But as I was listening to the article or reading the article in the book, I was like, you know, this is really applicable to the Christian relationship with God, our relationship with God. We can bring these things, these twisted, distorted ways of thinking into our relationship with God, and they make us miserable. Ladies and gentlemen, are you miserable this morning in your relationship with God? And this is very much, I'm taking the bent towards a relationship with God, but like I said, this article and this book is not bent that way. So you could really find help just in life in general, thinking in a different way. But are you miserable? 
Are you miserable in your relationship with God this morning? Are you discouraged this morning in your relationship with God? Are you sad or depressed in your relationship with God? Are you anxious, fearful, stressed out in your relationship with God this morning? Are you frustrated or angry in your relationship with God this morning? Are you indifferent, emotionally numb, or emotionally not engaged in your relationship with God this morning? Are you feeling lonely in your relationship with God this morning? What's making your relationship with God feel miserable? I entitled this Miserable Christian because I think sometimes we can get into these ruts. And as I was reading through these cognitive distortions, and even in my own experience with God, there are times where I'm just like, I am the joy of the Lord. Man, this is not there. I'm just not feeling it. I'm just not feeling it. It is tough right now. Not that I'm like angry at God or blaming God, but I'm just not joyful in my relationship with God. I'm not rejoicing. It's tough. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. I have a little bit of hopelessness with different things. And I am just being driven up a wall. Not that I don't believe in God, but I'm just frustrated. I'm miserable. And yet I feel like time and time again in God's Word, it's like rejoice. Joy of the Lord is your strength. Rejoice in the Lord, right? We've all heard those phrases, those verses, right? Joy is the second fruit of the Spirit. And sometimes it can just feel like, man, i got none of that right now. What is going on? What's going on? Well, if that's you this morning, golly, there's more than hope. There are answers, and there's truth, and there's goodness coming your way. And hey, maybe this morning you're like, hey, man, I'm not miserable. That's fantastic. I am, that's amazing. I'm definitely, just because I give a sermon on something doesn't mean I assume everybody's this way, right? We're just trying to hit as broadly as we can. So if you're doing well, and you're like, man, joy of the Lord, I am feeling it. Amazing. Fantastic. I still think this will be very applicable, because this week and next week we're going to go through 11 Cognitive distortions, 11 ways that we can just think poorly that can drive us into just feeling more sad about something than we have to, more anxious about something than we have to, more discouragement, more frustration, more hopelessness, all those things, more lonely than you actually have to and stuff. And we want to identify those things and be clear about them, okay? Cool? So when talking about emotions... And this article in the book that I'm about to reference has to do with cognitive behavior therapy, all right? So if you're in, uh, not, I was about to say if you're in therapy, <laughs> but if, you're, if you've ever been to therapy or you're a therapist or done anything like that in psychology or psychiatry or whatever, cognitive behavior therapy is simply just you've got to look at your thinking, your thoughts. What are you thinking about? How are you thinking about things? Because your thoughts influence. Uh, this guy would say all the way, I'm not a therapist, social worker, I'm not that, so again, maybe talk to the people who are that. I don't know if I'm like definitively going to say 100%, but I think, boy, big time, your thinking, and as I'll say, your beliefs, tremendously influence and dictate your emotions every moment, every day, all right? So David D. Burns, He's a famous psychologist, a real pioneer in the cognitive behavior therapy. 
therapy that really looks at your thoughts and how are you thinking about things and changing the way you think. In his book, Feeling Great, he says these three things. You feel the way you think, all right? Like I just said, and that's probably the first point in your outline. You feel the way you think. And it's so true. I talked to Kirsten about this. All right, Kirsten's a therapist. I was like, Kirsten, what's your feelings with cognitive behavior therapy? She's like, this is my bread and butter. I love it, all right? This is the good stuff, all right? So important, so important. You feel the way you think, all right? Number two, your negative thoughts that upset you are nearly always distorted and twisted. Again, this is David D. Burns in his book, Feeling Great. This is not me. These are his thoughts. Your negative thoughts that upset you are nearly always distorted, excuse me, and twisted. Why is that? Ooh, man. And eh, we don't have time to really get into that. Oh, I'm going to leave it so we get through. But I think he's absolutely spot on with that. Number three, when you change the way you think, you can change the way you feel. This is kind of his three big premises, his introduction to his book. He is big on the thinking. Change the way you think, change the way you feel. If you're feeling upset, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling anxious all the time, you're feeling discouraged, frustrated, hopeless, lonely, all those types of things, he would say, we need to go to your thoughts. What are you thinking about? What are you dwelling on? Now, I'm going to add one to his thing. I love it. I think he's spot on with that, but I think we've got to go one step further. And so what I would add to the list is you feel to the degree you believe what you think. Because I think we all can agree you can hold something in your mind. I know intellectually in my mind God loves me, right? And I think we all know that. But how much you believe that, I mean really believe it, is really going to determine how much you feel peace, how much you feel loved, how much you really get to reap the fruits of being loved by God. So that's why I say you have to believe it. You can't just hold some, a concept in your mind and expect your feelings to change. You have to genuinely believe it. Make sense? So... We're going to go to the mind. We're going to go to the thoughts. We're going to identify cognitive distortions, just bad ways of thinking, to hopefully help us to think in more positive ways, but to believe, to believe it and to change our feelings. All right? Let's go to God's Word, though, because, again, talking about the mind, there are so many passages in the Bible about the mind and how important the mind is. How important it is. Let's look at them together. Romans 12.2. We're all familiar with Romans 12.2. We hear it all the time. We say it all the time. 12, Romans 12.2 is a super fruit passage, right? It's jam-packed with amazing, amazing things. The youth are memorizing it. Ashley's already got it memorized. So ask her. She'll give you the whole enchilada. Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul obviously knows we want transformation. The mind has to be engaged in the transformation. Sometimes we want transformation, but we don't want to have to think about it. We want transformation. We don't want to have to, oh, make changes to the way we think. We just want magic. We just want, ah, God, change me. 
But Paul knows better. Paul knows the mind has to be engaged in the transformation. He knows the mind has to be renewed. The mind has to be in play. You can't just put it on cruise control. You can't just check out in your mind. If you want transformation, if you want renewal, the mind has to be engaged in that process. The mind has to be renewed. I love Paul. Let's look at another one. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Again, Paul. Paul's talking to a community, a church in Philippi who's suffering under persecution, right? And he's talking about the mind a lot. Philippians chapter 2, he's talking about have the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. And then he ends right after he's talking about rejoicing. And then he's talking about, hey, don't be anxious about anything, right? But through prayer and petition, present your requests to God and a peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and, and minds in Christ Jesus. And so verse 8, right after that, says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Think about such things. Paul knows, man, you're suffering. And if you don't have a tight rein on your mind, golly, it's going to throw you to and fro, left and right, up and down, all around. He knows. We have to have mind self-control. I love saying that. You have to have mind self-control. you got to think about certain things. you got to stay positive. Or you got to think about other things, but it ain't going to help to just like start going down all worst case scenarios, right? Think about these things. Man, I could just leave that passage and we could all just memorize it and that would be enough this morning. That's such a great passage. Yeah, the last one, Romans 8, again, another super passage. That's another one worth memorizing if you're looking for a summer chapter to memorize. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. I find this interesting. I wanted to include it this morning. Paul says this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Again, Paul is holding up the mind. The mind is important. The mind has to be engaged, right? And following Christ, the mind's got to be set on the spirit. You can't just check out. You can't just not think about anything like any of us cannot think about anything. You're going to think about some things. And he's like, your mind has to be sharp. Your mind's got to be disciplined. Your mind's got to be set on the spirit. Right? Sometimes we just, I know, I get it. Golly, we all work. We're all doing tons of stuff. And man, it's just nice to be able to like mentally check out. Right? And sometimes we need that. You do need that. But in life and in following Christ, the mind has to be engaged. And that's what I'm trying to get at with these passages. Paul thought and believes and encouraged us the mind is important. We can't just leave it like we leave a field. It's going to grow weeds. It's going to go nuts. And it's not going to be cultivated. It's not going to bear much fruit. You've got to plant. You've got to sow. You've got to uproot weeds. You've got to identify cognitive distortions. You've got to be disciplined. 
you've got to look at the mind and what are we doing with it, okay? So that's what we're doing this morning. That's what we're going to do next week. We're just going to try to bring some discipline to the mind. We're going to try to identify any weeds in the mind that need to get uprooted. And we're going to try to continue to engage our minds and sharpen our minds in the spirit and in following Christ. Amen? All right. Let's get into these cognitive distortions. There's like 11 of them. We are going to get to two. All right? We're going to be done at 1130. All right? <laughs> Let's look at the first one. The first one is all or nothing thinking. Again, these cognitive distortions are David D. Burns. They're from his book, Feeling Great. These are not me, um, but I think he is spot on. The first one, a bad way of thinking is having a mindset that's all or nothing thinking. All right? I call it the throwing the baby out with the bathwater thinking. All right? It is very all or nothing. He says this, you think of yourself as a complete success or a total failure. Again, all or nothing. You look at everything in absolute black or white categories as if shades of gray don't exist. Now, I need everybody to do something. I need everybody to be right here. Because I, 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 every time I went through this, and even now, it popped into my mind. You can easily get off the rails off this, all right? You can easily take this to where I don't want you to take it. <laughs> so you need to stay right here with me, all right? And keep in track with what I'm trying to say. Because again, you could easily get off and say that Grant doesn't believe there's any absolutes and there's nothing that's black and white. No, there are definitely black and white things in life, all right? There are definitely, but there is 100% definitely gray, all right? And I totally forgot to wear my gray shirt this morning. I was going to wear it to point that out, but I didn't. I just got an amber by the blue. I love the blue, all right? Now, I am not even talking about salvation, all right? I'm not talking about that. I'm assuming you have a relationship with God. You have faith in Jesus, all right? And I am identifying your relationship with Jesus that you believe. And in your relationship with Jesus, you believe in him. If you get too black and white, you think of yourself as either a complete success or a total failure, you are in for one bumpy ride. All right? Well, let's, I'm jumping ahead. Let's get to some examples of all or nothing thinking as it pertains to the Christian faith. I sinned today. Therefore, I'm a terrible Christian. That's an example of all or nothing. I sinned, did this wrong. I'm a terrible Christian. I'm the worst. All or nothing. It's either I'm perfect and I'm a great Christian, or I sinned and I'm the worst. All or nothing. Another one. Because I've discovered these flaws in my faith, the whole thing must be a lie. All or nothing. It's either got to be perfect and it's got answers for everything, it's got perfect answers for everything, or if it doesn't, ah, it's a lie. I'm done with it. All or nothing. Third one, I'm never going to be perfect as a Christian, so why even try? All or nothing. Either I'm going to be perfect or not at all, and so why am I going to even try? I like this analogy. I've been watching The Captain on ESPN. It's a documentary on Derek Jeter been awesome. I'm loving it, so I'm very much in the baseball. It's summer. It's the dog days. Baseball is on my mind. So think of it in this terms. Either you're hitting home runs or you're striking out. 
That's what the thinking, the all or nothing thinking thinks. Either I got to hit a home run, and if I don't hit a home run, it's as if I struck out. Man, I want to give you a little bit of time to think, where's your all or nothing? These are just some examples. They are definitely not exhaustive. These are just what I could come up with. But where have you? I'm going to give you a couple seconds. Not a couple seconds. I'll give you like 30 seconds to think of and write down. Where have you fallen into the all or nothing thinking in your relationship with God? Which one of these, maybe, you're like, yeah, this is me. Boy, I've definitely fallen into that. I tell you what, that first one, ooh, that's a lot of my life. It was either I'm perfect or I am. It's not even imperfect. Like, I am, like, worse than, I am terrible. Terrible. Definitely fell in that to my relationship with God. Definitely felt like that. I had no sense of grayness. Now, see, what's interesting, I'll give you kind of a 30 seconds. What's interesting about these cognitive distortions and why we fall into them so easily is because they bear some truth. They bear some truth in them. There's some truth in them. And that's what makes them so appealing. And so we get into them, we're like, yep, this is how it is. Because they do bear some truth. I mean, think about it. Let's say this week, you're like, Grant, man, I had a stellar week. You know, I, I changed some habits. I started doing some things. You know, I started reading my Bible more. Uh, I didn't sin in this particular area that I've been struggling with. Um, I'm here this morning. You know, you could be like, I'm doing pretty good with God. Right? That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I don't think you're wrong with that. Flip side. Man, I had a terrible week. I was really sinning. Really just not doing what I was supposed to be doing. Sinning, doing this, not reading my Bible, not praying, yada, yada. And so maybe you do not feel so good in your relationship with God. That makes sense, too. There is truth in that, all right? There is truth in that. But ladies and gentlemen, I bet, I bet, every single one of you, and me included, are doing some great things this past week and today in our relationship with the Lord. I mean, you guys are all here this morning, so you did a great thing this morning, right? Something that the Lord loves and is proud of and wants you to do. So you're here, so you did something good. And I guarantee every one of us this past week did something that was not so good. Right? So there's grayness. Wouldn't you agree? In baseball, there's not just home runs and strikeouts. There's singles. There's doubles. There's triples. There's fielder's choice. Reaching on a fielder's choice. There's walks. There's getting hit by a pitch. There's a pass ball on strike three. You get first base. Right? There are tons of different things. Why does it have to be the extremes? I'm perfect or I'm the worst. It doesn't have to be that way. There is so much gray. There is so much gray. And this, this is how we get there. This is how we get there. We've got to find our security and our identity in Christ. You've got to find your security and our identity in Christ. With Christ. I know we talk about identity all the time. I felt like that was like the thing that was talked about the most, like youth group, middle school, high school, college. And I guarantee you, it probably was not until like a year ago that I can honestly say I really got it. <laughs> it's just such a hard, it's such a weird concept. And it's such a, I would say, un, not unnatural, but in our society and how things, it just very, it's not that way. 
right? It can very much feel that our identity is based on our actions. And if I do good things, then yes, I've got a good identity, right? Do bad things, bad identity. But in Christ, we find security. When you come to faith in Jesus, when you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you get a new identity. Here's some of these things. I didn't get them up on the slide, so listen to these. Here is your identity. If you believe in Jesus Christ, here is your identity. Have we sinned and sinned greatly? Have you sinned and sinned greatly? In Christ, you have the redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Colossians 1.14 You are in Christ. You believe in Him. Then you have forgiveness of sin. That's part of your identity this morning. Do you feel like an orphan, a stranger, or an alien this morning? In Christ, you have been adopted by God to be His child, His son, His daughter. And now you are members of His household and heirs of all things in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.5, 2.19, Romans 8.17. You are His son and daughter. That is your identity this morning. Do you feel like miserable failures? In Christ, almost incredibly, every failure will work for an ultimate good. Romans 8.28. That's your identity this morning. Do you feel weak and inadequate? In Christ, God loves to choose the weak and foolish things because when we are weak, He promises that His grace will be sufficient for us. So much so that we can learn to boast in our weaknesses because of how they showcase his strength. 1 Corinthians 1, 27-31. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. Do you feel weak this morning? In Christ, your identity is strong. Because He is strong. Do you feel insignificant and unimportant? In Christ, you have been chosen by God. John 15, 16. Who purposely assigned as a unique and needed function. Purposely assigned you a unique and needed function in His body. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. You have a new identity. You are loved. All right? If you got nothing from that, you are loved because of who you are. I imagine as a father one day, when my child is birthed and crying, I'm not going to be like, golly, he's crying or she's crying. Now I don't love him. All right, golly. Like, get your act together and then I'll love you. I imagine just because of the mere, the mere fact that this is my child even in the midst of crying and loudness, I imagine I will look upon that child and say, man, I love you. I love you. And there's nothing that could change it. Nothing. No amount of crying. It's set. It's set. Your actions do not influence or change your identity. If you have believed in Christ, your identity is loved. It's secure. The only way that will change is if you decide to not believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior anymore. That's it. So if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're failing, and you're sinning, your identity is still secure. You are still His son. You are still His daughter. You are still fully and unconditionally loved. You are still forgiven. You are still, all those things are still at your bequest. They are still for you. They are still for you. That gives us tremendous security. Insecurity leads us to extremes. Leads us to extremes, all or nothing, constantly. Security allows us to walk in the gray. Allows us to walk in the gray. 
All right? Now, always has to be said, because this is where all my mind goes, because I am a recovering actions-based identity person. All right? This is not a license to sin. All right? All right? It's not a license to sin. I'm not giving you a license to sin. All right? Just because you're fully and unconditionally loved, and it's not based on your actions, doesn't mean, oh, so my actions don't matter? Hey, all right. Go do whatever I want to do. No way. I've never met an athlete who has been like, hey, my coach was like, hey, you know, do your best out there. If you make a mistake, no big deal. It was like, oh, really? All right. I'm going to go throw an interception just for fun. You know, I'm just going to go up there and watch three strikes go by. Oh, I can make mistakes. No big deal. No way. Again, the captain, Derek Jeter, I love this. I didn't know this about him. His first year in the league, he credits his manager, Joe Torre, because Joe Torre said, hey, you're going to fail out there, and I'm okay with it. Go play your best. And he felt like that gave him such a relief off his shoulders that he was able to fail out there, that he was able to struggle, and he wasn't going to get pulled out. He wasn't going to get demoted to the minors. He was able to work out there. And having that, that burden lifted off of his shoulders allowed him to become Rookie of the Year and a World Series champion. So hopefully, our mindsets are to do the will of God and to be about His purposes, right? And to be about the purposes He has for this world, this community, and you and through you. And so when you're given that security in Christ, that, hey, you're going to fail. But man, fail greatly, right? Fail as we're pushing towards this goal. You should be like, oh man, this this frees me up a little bit. Feel a little bit better about this. I'm going to keep doing God's will, but golly, I don't have to be like on this roller coaster of I'm doing really great in the Lord, everything's great. Oh gosh, nope, I sin. I'm horrible. God doesn't like me. He's disappointed. Yada yada yada. Right? We have to be. I'm going to get to this second one, and maybe I should leave it for the second one because I'll address it. But I want to drive home this point. Your complete success or a total failure is just bad way of thinking, especially in the Lord. You're secure. We have security. The world may not give that to you, but Christ has given that to you. All right? That's a tremendous gift. So don't fall back into the old ways of thinking that, oh, it's based on my actions. Right? Because, yeah, there are people in this world. There are probably coworkers, bosses, parents, coaches that were very much works-based. Action based. Yeah, I love you when you're doing good for me. And if you're not, no way. You know, hit the road. Yeah, you will experience that type of things. But in Christ, you have security. You don't get it that way. You have it in Him. He loves you. As long as you still believe in Him as your Lord and Savior, boy, does He love you to the nth degree. He can't love you more and He can't love you less. And He doesn't. Find security in that. Find security in that. So again, if you fall into this, I'm doing great when I'm doing great, and I'm a terrible Christian when I'm doing bad, you've got to find security in your relationship with the Lord. I'm going to drive this point home with the second cognitive distortion, and that is overgeneralization. I like this one. You generalize from some specific flaw, failure, or mistake to your entire self. It has to do with identity right there. Or you may generalize the way you feel right now or some negative experience you've just had to the future. Overgeneralization uses words like always and never. Does that make sense? 
I'm going to give you some examples of this. You might want to take a picture of that. Oh, okay, perfect. I love that. All right. Some examples of this. I've sinned in one area of my life, kind of like I was talking about with all or nothing thinking. So therefore, I'm a terrible Christian. You see how you've done the first thing. You've generalized from some specific flaw or failure or mistake, like sinning, to your entire self. You see that. You see that. Can you see that in that first one? I sinned, I made a mistake, and instead of being specific and seeing it as a mistake that you made, you took it as a reflection of your entire being, and you said, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible Christian. This is a bad way of thinking. This is a terrible way of thinking. That's definitely not the end-all, be-all. Are you only your worst mistake? Is that all there is to you, is your worst mistake? No. No. And are, is there more to you than your greatest achievement? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it doesn't make sense to, I sinned in this area, so I'm the worst, because you're too complex. You got too many great things and too many bad things to just say, oh, this one thing, yeah, that's it. But again, our minds want to think that way. Our minds do this all the time, right? We're always, always putting people in boxes. We're always putting ourselves in boxes. We're always trying to look for principles. We're always trying to label things, right? We're always trying to find this one word. What's one word that describes you? Golly, we got to get that, that little icebreaker out the door. Man, it's a terrible one. One word can't, can't describe all of you. Golly, it can't. There's too much to you. There's too many things about you. There's too many great things about you. There are some bad things, but we got to be specific. See it as it is. In sports, again, I wish I got this better as an athlete because I would make a mistake and the coach would yell at you. And instead of me being specific and compartmentalizing and saying, yeah, you know, it was because I did this one thing, but what would I do? Oh, man, I'm, I'm a terrible athlete. I'm a terrible basketball player. I'm the worst. Terrible baseball player. Terrible football player. I was jumping to my identity, man. I was not secure in my identity. I was not secure in my coach's love for me. So any little criticism, any little mistake was automatically the blueprint for who I was. Again, we do this with other people. They have a specific flaw. They're a terrible Christian. <laughs> right? Again, can you sum up one person another person by one thing whether it's good or bad no golly come on now we know we can't do that and we know everybody's got some really great things about them and some really bad things and if we just focus on the one bad thing and say well yeah they're this terrible person golly we're not even giving them a chance not even giving them a chance they're more than that christ sees them as more than that we sure as Heck, better see them as more than that. Third, I had to wait a long time for God to answer my prayer in the past. Therefore, God always is slow in answering prayers. See the always, the overgeneralization, right? God did this thing in the past. He always does it this way. Overgeneralization, not grounded in facts. There are, I could think of ten reasons why God would be slow in answering certain requests. And I think of 10 reasons why he would answer certain things right off the bat. Right? Don't try to put God in a box. Don't try to say he always does it this way. Or don't, don't put like big things like, oh man, this is a big thing, life decision. It's going to take forever. Why? 
Where's, where's the facts? Where's the Bible verse? Where's, where is it? No, you're just overgeneralizing from a past experience. Be specific. That experience was that way. Doesn't mean the future experience is going to be the same thing. Don't overgeneralize. Again, God didn't answer a specific prayer request. Therefore, God never answers my prayers. I'm sorry, I shouldn't do this. But this, this is how I've done this with God. Ugh. All right? God never answers my prayers. Or you overgeneralize even further. God's not listening, or God's not real. That's overgeneralization. You have gone from one thing, God didn't answer this prayer request, overgeneralizing, he must not be real. And boy, you can make that jump pretty quick. Is that grounded in the facts? Is that logical for my logical people? I could probably think of 10 reasons why God would not answer that prayer request. I thank God for the prayer request that he did not answer in my life. Because golly, my life would look a lot different today. I may not be up here. I might be married right now. Holy cow. All right? That would be a bad thing, but I'm, I'm glad it wasn't with that person, you know? All right? That's a good thing, but golly. I mean, seriously, I can think of tens of, tons of reasons why God would not answer that prayer request. Think about it as parents. Man, your child, your child wants this so badly, and you don't give it to them. And they cannot understand why they don't get it. But you, looking at them, are like, no, trust me, this is good for you. This is good for you, developmentally. This is good for you not to have this thing. It's good for you. And God is saying, man, it's good for me. So don't overgeneralize from, he didn't answer this prayer request, to God never answers my prayers. God's not listening. God's not real. Don't do it. It doesn't make sense. Don't feel God's presence in my life. I'm never going to feel God's presence. Or again, God's not real. Again, the same kind of structure. God hasn't spoken to me. I'm never going to hear God speak to me. God's not real. Overgeneralization. God did it this way in the past. Therefore, he always does it that way. Again, overgeneralization. Don't put God in a box. Don't think you got God figured out. God will greatly show you you do not have him figured out, and he will show it to you hopefully in a less painful way, but you try to put the reins on God and you will get tossed off every single time. Can't do it, so don't do it. I love, I love that last one because uh, the stock market, some really famous Wall Street dude was like, thinking about, he was like, with the stock market, past performance is not a clear indication of future performance. In the stock market, we think of as complex, right? So yeah, just because it did well at this time and period of history doesn't mean it's going to do the same thing in the future. We know that. We know that, right? Think about your life and the human complexity and the complexity of your relationships and your jobs and your lifestyles in this world and our community and stuff. You really think you can predict it? You really think you'd be like, oh yeah, it's always happened? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's complexity. All right? Now, I'm not saying, golly, don't, again, stay with me. Don't take this further than it has to be that, like, God changed or God does things, you know. He very much does things in line with his character, but don't compartmentalize him and say, well, I know his character, so he's going to do things this way. Uh, he might show you, ah, oh, his character is pretty big, right? And he's pretty nuanced. And even, I know my dad well. And sometimes I tell my dad, oh, I know what you're going to say, and I know how you're going to react. And sometimes I'm right. And then sometimes my dad's like, don't speak for me. He's like, 
don't, don't, you know, look, I can speak for myself and stuff, and you don't have me all figured out. And it reminds me of that. And it's good, because sometimes I'm like, oh, God, I've read your word so many times. You know, I know what you're going to say, or this is what the thing. And I think God's very gracious to me. He's like, eh, hold up there, buddy. Hold up there. Don't, don't always speak for me. You know, I can do things in a multitude of ways. I can do things very differently than you may think right now. So let me work. Guys, again, with the identity, and I just want to drive this home, when you take a specific flaw, sin, and you apply it to your entire self, it's just wrong. So this is, again, where the license to sin does not come into play, right? Now, if you sin, your identity is secure. Will God still discipline you? Absolutely. Right? He's being specific. Right? He's disciplining you. He's helping you. But he's not knocking your identity. He's not taking away your identity. And we've got to be able to pull those things apart. And again, all of society kind of things, we're just so used to those being so tightly that our actions and our identity go hand in hand. And we've got to pull those things apart with God. And you've got to separate those out. And the antidote and the really the, uh, the solution to overgeneralization is you have to be specific. You have to be specific. God is mad at me, or God's mad at me, or God is not happy with me for this specific sin. He's not thrilled by it. He doesn't like it. He wants it gone. Be specific. Don't take it to your identity and say, God doesn't love me anymore. God's, God's disappointed. God just hates me. God, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Be specific. He's not thrilled with the sin. He's not thrilled. He's thrilled with you. He loves you. You're amazing to him. He's not thrilled with this specific action, this specific sin. Compartmentalize. Maybe that's a good way of saying it. Be specific. So yes, he will discipline you. Yes, he will not be thrilled about certain things that you are doing. Yes, we should not want to sin in any way, shape, or form. But I think we just sometimes think it's the spiritual way to to really knock our identity, to make sure we're remorseful or repentful. We really have to, like, degrade ourselves and, and feel really bad, you know, and talk to ourselves like, yeah, God's just really disappointed, and that's, that's what's going to help me not sin in the future. No, I think what's not going to help you to sin in the future is to know that, wow, God still stinking loves me, and it's secure, and that doesn't change, Right? And that frees me up to go and to continue on in His will for my life. And yeah, I'm going to try to do better. And yeah, I'm going to fail in other ways. And I might fail again in that. But it doesn't change my being, myself, who I am. My identity is secure. Again, the overgeneralization. Again, don't, don't think because you had some experience that that's indicative of the whole future. Don't do that. And what's really... Last kind of point on that, what's really scary about that is if you're in the habit of doing that, you could easily be doing self-fulfilling prophecies. I'll show you how that works. Uh, The person that hasn't heard God speak assumes God will never speak to them and therefore stops asking and listening for God to speak and therefore doesn't hear God speak because they're no longer listening. See how dangerous that is? 
All that from overgeneralization. And you could take that from any one of these. I sinned in one area of my life. I applied it to my identity. I'm a terrible Christian. Could go a number of different ways. Doesn't all have to be bad, but you could easily just sulk in your terribleness and could be, be like, you know what, forget all this. I'm just going to become more terrible. Or I'm going to get hyper-focused on perfectionism because my identity is tied to my perfectionism. And guess what? You end up going to make more mistakes. Every athlete knows that when trying to be perfect, you end up becoming less perfect. <laughs> just how it is. You can't be focused on it. You just got to be focused on doing your best and accepting the failure and the mistakes. You apply that to all those things. Golly, John Newton was like, okay, your prayer is not being answered while praying for God. You think it's going to be answered if you stop praying? Love John Newton, man. Sarcastic dude. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. He's that dude. He's like, you think? You think because you think you could you stop? It's going to happen now? No. You think because, man, yeah, what is? You know, God doesn't answer my prayer requests. And you think because you're going to stop praying to him that he's going to start answering those prayer requests? No. Don't overgeneralize. Be specific. He didn't answer that one thing. Maybe I'll find out someday why he didn't answer that. Maybe I won't. I guarantee you'll find out some of them. Be specific. Be specific. Don't apply it to yourself. Don't apply it to your identity. Your identity is secure in Christ. Does that make sense? I just want to real quick, if you have a question or a clarification or a... Because I know when talking about identity, and I know me, golly, my actions and my obedience to the Lord was very indicative of my identity. And I know that's prevalent because we're in the Midwest, we're in the Bible Belt, so it's a huge, ingrained, cultural thing. So I want us to be really certain on this and really that I make it clear doesn't de-incentivize holiness. Holiness is very much important. It's how you live out God's plan for your life. Do you have the mindset of the Spirit? Is your mind set on the Spirit? Are you about what God's about? Do you have the same goals in mind? Do you have the same wants and desires that He wants? If you do and you have faith in God, God's like, man, go for it. Go for the gold. And if you fail, hey, I'm going to pick you back up. You're all right. Get back in there. Alright? Still love you. You're fine. Your identity doesn't change. It's secure. So what's making you miserable this morning, Christian? Have you been falling into the all or nothing or the overgeneralization realms? Not just in your relationship with God, but with other people. Have you been doing that? Or things, right? Society. Thinking about society in certain ways. Are you falling into those things? And are you secure in your identity in Christ? Is it still action-based? Is it still based on you obeying? Or is it based on your faith and your identity and who you are in Christ Jesus? These are important things. We've got two down. We've got nine more next week. Those are probably the two of the uh, hardest conceptually. The other ones are pretty self-explanatory and really easy, so it'll be quick and easy next week. Sound good? You'll stand with me, we'll close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for our minds. Thank you for the beauty of our minds. Thank you for their ability 
God, we thank you um, for that. And God, we just pray for your help, Spirit, Holy Spirit, to help us, to transform our minds, to show us where we've just gotten into bad thought patterns. God, we pray for your self-control, fruit of the Spirit, not just in our, in our physical body or our desires, or, but also in our minds and in our thoughts. God, we do pray for your truth. Pray that you would make it known to us, that we would believe it. God, we pray for these emotions. We love these emotions. We're grateful for them, though sometimes they're just pain, or they're weird, or we don't understand them, or they lead us to and fro. But God, we're grateful for them. They're beautiful. So God, help us. Mature us in our emotions. Mature us in our minds. God, solidify our security in you. We're grateful for our identity in you. Grateful for the great gift of you and your love for us. God, help us. Drive it home. Make it stick. God, make it concrete. Man, make it, make it iron in us, God. And change us. Transform us, God. May we be renewed. May we have peace. May we have joy that we did not know. God, lead us out of this action-based identity into the fullness of your identity. God, we're so grateful. Lord, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.